Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Finally here, the top teams in college basketball have been determined and we will have a national champion crowned very soon. Looking to wager on these games or the national championship? Head over to betonline.ag on your desktop or your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all your updated odds and info along with player props and new contests throughout the year. It's the best source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and everyone's favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join today. Learn why everyone is saying BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, host of Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast network happy to be with you uh today today is monday april 4th 2022 and we have a very special episode this is episode 14 and uh, we have three uh, special guests with us today uh, and this is a part of the graduate sport management course that i uh, co-teach um, with a colleague of mine and uh, we have three guests in this um, uh, for, for this podcast. And the three guests are Jason Potter, who is the Director of Sports Partnerships at St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Then we have Michaela Reynolds, who is the Director of Ready, Set, Gold, uh, which is a nonprofit organization that focuses on connecting Olympians and Paralympians with um, students in the Los Angeles Unified School District. Then we have Eric Sedrantz, who is the founder and CEO of Member for a Day, which is a platform that allows nonprofits to uh, essentially collect money and distribute money um, uh, for their different causes. But uh, again, we have a very, uh, very special show for you today. So sit back and relax and enjoy the show. All right. Well, thanks, Deaton. And it's good to see everybody. Um, and I'm looking forward to a really good panel here. So I hope everybody's having a good evening and hopefully uh, this uh, panel increases your, your happiness for the evening. But so we've got three really great uh, speakers with us today who have given uh, of their time to us and uh, we'll be going at this for about 45 minutes or so. Uh, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so first I want to introduce uh, a, a dear friend of mine and, and somebody that uh, we go back a few years when she was with the Dodgers and it's Michaela Reynolds. She is the uh, director at Ready, Set, Gold and um, just a fantastic person, uh, highly involved in the uh, nonprofit space and with the um, Southern California Committee for the Olympic Games as well. Uh, she's highly involved with the LA, uh, sport, LA, uh, sports council and, um, happy that we uh, have her with us today. 
And then we have, and then uh, Michaela, you're, you're, you're still in the Los Angeles area, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, welcome. So th- th- thanks for being here. Thank you. Of course, of course. And then uh, we have Jason Potter, who is the director of sports partnerships at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is a world-renowned hospital um, for, for the work that it does uh, with children and, and really saving children and, uh, and keeping children alive and, and a lot of the great work that they do there. And uh, Jason, so welcome to, uh, to, the, to, to the panel here and, and thanks again for, for being with us. And you're, you're calling all the way in from, uh, from Tennessee, right? I am, Jeremy. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, when when Deaton gave me this opportunity, it's an honor, and I'm happy to share this time with you and, and the students tonight. Awesome. No, well, thanks, Jason. And then, of course, uh, we have uh, Eric Sedrance, and uh, he is, I think, Eric, you're, you're calling in from Scottsdale, Arizona, right? I am indeed. All right. And then I, did I get the last name pronounced correctly? You nailed it. My man. Hey, I had some help on that. So thanks. Um, so he, uh, Eric is, uh, the founder and CEO at member for a day. And again, all three of our, our speakers are highly involved, uh, in the uh, nonprofit space. And, uh, again, so just really welcome three of you here and hopefully we have a, a really good panel. So, and, and I know that we will, so starting off, I guess, Michaela, we'll, we'll start with you. Maybe give us a little bit of a roadmap for your career. So how did you get started um, and how did you get into nonprofit work? You know, because I know that you were with the Dodgers. That's when we met and, mm-hmm. and we put on maybe what was the best panel of all time <laughs> <laughs> at the Dodgers Stadium. But, yeah. uh, but and I, I'll stand by that. But <laughs> I think uh, Me too. this is. Right. This, this is probably like, 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 like one B, you know, like that was one A, this is probably mm-hmm. like one B, right? Yeah. No, but so Michaela, let's tell us a little bit about your, your, uh, your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I joined the Southern California committee for the Olympic games to run and build Ready Set Gold, a nonprofit organization as the executive director in 2019. But I was just thinking about the other day, I, I really think my journey that got me to where I am today began in college. Uh, I was a D1 athlete and I represented my team in school as a leader in the NCAA's Student Athletic Advisory Committee, where I started a school-wide clothing drive led by athletes. Um, I would be responsible for getting my team and other teams out into the community, giving back and building up our city. Um, But during this time, I saw communities come together. Uh, These once empty, empty homeless shelters now overwhelmed with clothes and food. I saw the power of support and what it could do. Uh, After graduating with a degree in international business, I made my way out West, uh, where then I worked for the Los Angeles Dodgers and met Jeremy, (laughs) most importantly. And then I was extremely lucky there to have such great mentors during my time. Um, And I am the type of person who is never shy of exploring the possibilities. So even though I was in the sales department, I would request to work and develop new projects with each of the departments so I could yield those new skills and discover my passion. Um, But after three years at the Dodgers, I was recruited to take over Ready, Set, Gold. 
this this program was at a plateau for a few years um, prior to my hire, uh, and they wanted new perspectives. So, but in the last two years, we have doubled programming, athlete roster, and we've implemented six annual events that all pour back into our student impact in the community. That's great. No, and thanks for sharing that, Michaela. Um, so let's uh, let's go to you, uh, Jason, talking a little bit about um, you know really this the same question. How did how did you sort of get your start at St. Jude's? What your what was your sort of uh, your journey to get to there? And have you always worked uh, in sort of the nonprofit space? Actually, Jeremy, no. This is my first role uh, in the nonprofit space. I've been at St. Jude for four years this next month, and uh, my experience prior to that was. All my entire career, uh, 20 years prior, was all in sports, but on the team side. So I spent 14 years working in the NBA, five years in uh, minor league baseball. And at points in my career, I worked alongside St. Jude uh, and was very familiar with the mission. Um, uh, 14 years with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA, so here in Memphis where St. Jude is located. And... Uh, Interestingly, and on a personal note, I, I lost a friend, uh, a young man who's 33, my closest friend at the time, to cancer. It wasn't pediatric cancer, but it kind of opened my eyes to uh, a little closer to the work that St. Jude was doing. And the universe works in funny ways. And an opportunity to come manage the sports partnerships team at St. Jude presented itself, and I went at it full steam ahead. Been here four years, and it's been uh, just an incredible positive change in my life to work for a mission like St. Jude and get to see the families and kids up close that our work impacts and work with the great people who make our mission possible. St. Jude's a really unique institution where uh, the majority of our money comes from donations, uh, which is not typical with most hospitals. And uh, it's it's the donors that make the work go. And we get to be a small part of that with through our sports partnerships. And uh, it's it's a wonderful thing that I look forward to sharing more with you tonight. Oh, thanks, Jason. Uh, appreciate you sharing that. And then, so Eric, um, in a little bit, I would love to hear a little bit more about Member for a Day because I was reading the online uh, profile for the business, and it just seems fantastic what you guys do. And um, so, would love to hear about that. And then, of course, uh, your journey as to how you got into uh, how you sort of founded Member for a Day and what was the process there. Uh, and have you always been in nonprofit work? Uh, so first answer is absolutely not. And uh, I, I'm kind of, I guess, on the rarity on this panel in that Member for a Day is actually a for-profit business. Our clients are nonprofits. So we work on behalf of nonprofits, um, which is, was also interesting because I didn't quite realize that there was actually kind of this middle ground where you can do well while, but, while doing good, which is kind of, it's almost like a B Corp style business. Um, which I'm happy to talk more about, but no, uh, I mean, I always wanted to work in sports, but I was the type of guy that when I graduated college, I wanted to be Gordon Gecko and Bud Fox. And so I went to wall street and I wanted to make as much money as I could because I thought I had retired 40 and then I could get into sports or politics or something. Um, and I realized very quickly that, uh, I just really didn't like working on wall street and it wasn't for me. And, um, pivoted and worked in uh in the venture capital back tech space for about 10 years which was pretty good i i was the guy that when i graduated or when i was graduating from 
uh, business school, I cold called every sports agency in the world and told them that I would work for them for free for three months. And just, I, I couldn't find a spot. Uh, I literally tried everything. Um, and it, um, it took COVID and a weird confluence of events uh, that, that happened for member for a day to happen. I call myself an accidental entrepreneur in the sense that I, when I, when member for a day was just, it, like I said, it just kind of happened very naturally. I had gotten laid off from my job because of COVID. I knew I was going to be unemployed for a few months, given this was early COVID. So when the economy basically hit the pause button and uh, in that moment, I decided that I was going to launch an online charity golf auction where I auctioned off super exclusive rounds of golf at some of the most highly ranked golf courses in the country in support of New York City hospital frontline workers, specifically to feed them because at the time the headlines were that they were eating out of vending machines. And um, what started out as this little side project kind of took off on social media. I got hundreds of messages from people all around the world. And uh, to make a really long story short, I ended up raising over $101,000 in a week by myself completely on organic social media. And um, that was kind of the start. I wasn't looking to create a platform. I wasn't looking to do anything else. Uh, and then slow and steady, um, got a bunch of nonprofits to reach out and ask me if I could help them. And so member for a day was born and uh, you know, now I'm putting the cart way ahead of the horse, but now here we are about a year and a half later, we've raised over $2.6 million for charity. Wow. That's, um, that's awesome. You know, and, and that platform that you've created is, is so fantastic, uh, in terms of what you do. Right. Cause you, like, it's just like you said, with the B Corp thing, you know, you're doing something for, for profit, but you're doing it for a good cause yeah. and, and you're, you're allowing, uh, people to kind of spread their messages and, and to bring in, you know, money, uh, for good causes. So, uh, thank you for your work on that. That's, that's fantastic. And, uh, I love the Gordon Gecko analogy, <laughs> bringing that stuff in. And uh, it's, it's really, really good stuff there. So thanks for sharing that. Of course. Um, so, so I'll go back to Michaela, go back to you. And then, um, and then Jason and Eric again. So what makes the, the nonprofit element like special for you? Like what, it, what attracted you to that aspect? Yeah, well, I think for... For me personally, when I was at the Dodgers, I was really craving something that was making an impact. Um, yes, we were making memories in the stands, but I wanted to give back to the community. And I think that was always ingrained into my system uh, since growing up and then in college. So, I mean, Rice at Gold's mission is to empower the next generation through sport. And as everyone has mentioned on this panel on here, sport is also in our blood. Um, so I am so fortunate to work with decorative Olympians and Paralympians and hear their untold stories, but also watch these kids perspective on life shift for a brighter future once going through our program. Um, a small but mighty way that we have shifted is by placing these athletes in the schools within their own community. And we found out that by introducing those students with these athlete mentors who just live in their backyard, they too can see that they can accomplish their Olympic size dream. Uh, so with like through the very cycle programming, we are able to make a statement that the amount of exercise kids get should not be determined by their income and by their zip codes. So being able to consistently work and improve and enhance outcomes, um, 
is super special. That's great. No, thanks for sharing that, Michaela. And then Jason, let's go to you. What's, what sort of drew you to the nonprofit world? What, uh, what's like the special element for you? I think what's interesting is it's a little more natural fit than I would have assumed. And I think Michaela raises a good point that when you work in sports, a lot of times the, the motivator for that, you said it well, Michaela, creating memories, creating community. I think that's a big driver. And in a sense, that is a mission, right? But when you work for a nonprofit, uh, you're working for a mission, you're able to clearly state what that purpose is to yourself and to others, to, to, to donors and funders, to supporters, to your friends and family. And uh, the ability to do that and unite people to help you achieve a common cause, that mission-driven work is what is so appealing about working in the nonprofit space. It's, uh, it is very intrinsically rewarding. Oh, thanks for that, Jason. Um, and then Eric, sort of same question to you. What's, uh, what's the special element for you? You talked a little bit about it when you were giving us your um, sort of your journey, but what's, if you could call out maybe one or two things, what sort of makes it special for you, the nonprofit world? Yeah. You know, for me, like I said, I thought I was going to go to Wall Street and just make a bunch of money. And I realized that for better or worse, I was, or I am not motivated entirely by financial gain. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And I've come to the realization now that as a for-profit business, it, if you're just making things and selling them and you're not actually making the world better, like what's the point? Like just financial gain for financial gain. Like I think of the work that I do as trying to make the world better for the next generation. And when you're just moving money around or you're selling pencils or whatever it is, and it's just pure profit, you're not really doing that. And so now that our North Star, our mission is to empower nonprofits by maximizing their fundraising, that is like all the motivation I need. And so I think I've always been fascinated with companies like Tom's and, you know, let's call it just cause marketing in general. Um, because A, I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's the right thing to do. I think it works. But I think in 2022, there's so much bad press going on that I feel like if you are a for-profit business and you don't have a cause or mission attached to it, you're, you're going to fail. Like it's just people, consumers want to attach themselves to brands that are doing more than just making money. And so um, that's, that's what it means to me. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I, and I think it's funny because um, I think when we're younger, we think, oh, you know, money's, money's, you know, sort of the end all be all. And, and that's the most important thing, right? Let's go buy the fancy cars and the watches and everything like that. And it look, and at the end of the day, some of that stuff may still be important, but I think finding, um, finding your passion and, and finding a way um, to get paid for that passion in the sense, even if it's not an exorbitant amount of money, it's still nice to, to be able to do what you love and, and, and to get compensated for it. Right. Uh, so no, I appreciate you sharing that. So, um, obviously with, with your platform, Eric, I'm going to stick with you for this next question. It, it's a platform that sort of allows for, uh, nonprofits to essentially utilize the platform to, you know, fundraise and to make money. Right. 
But now you had a different day job. Obviously, you worked on Wall Street. The pandemic hit, as you mentioned. Talk, talk, talk with us a little bit about um, the stress of that. Uh, walk us through the process of you know how, you know how you made that career change, um, and then sort of the difficulties and sort of the steps that maybe you took to to build something and to build member for a day. Yeah, I guess. Um... Like I said, I mean, part of it is it, it truly was accidental entrepreneurship. But I think the, the deeper level is that I, I was following my heart instead of my brain. And my heart was telling me that um, looking for a job in the first three months of the pandemic was a complete waste of time. And I should use that time to be creative and to do something to give back. Nothing more than that. I wasn't thinking that it will lead to all this amazing stuff. Like, no, I'm just going to use my time to give back and be productive. Um, and it, it's really as simple as that, Jeremy. Like I haven't, to me, there was no risk. And this is going to sound crazy because to me, the risk is staying, doing the same thing that you're doing and hating your life. That's the risk because you're risking your life. Like you're literally just wait, like as my mom always says, like, we, there's no dress rehearsals. This, we only get to do this life once, at least we think. And um, so, so the risk was really staying in the status quo, which is very different than probably most people, how would they would define risk. Um, and I say this all the time, I would do what I do for free. I mean, it's literally, I, I'm helping nonprofits raise money. We're doing it through amazing golf experiences. Um, our platform has allowed people to live some of their bucket list experiences playing golf with celebrities and pro athletes and musicians. And, um, you know, so, you know, and then I think to answer it on a more business sense, you know, I, I went to Babson to get my MBA. It's the number one school for entrepreneurship in the world. So I am classically trained and, what I've always been fascinated about is businesses that can start up with very little costs. And we're living in a time where there's so much open source technology that you can license that you could just combo up a bunch of different softwares, create your own business, pay like a couple hundred dollars a month in software costs and have like a legit platform that you don't have to build anything yourself. And so I was always fascinated by that. And so when I realized there was an opportunity here, I tried to find as much open source stuff out there as possible. And um, so again, going back to your question of risk, there just wasn't much risk. My, the only risk was time, like that I could have been looking for a job and instead I was doing this, but I, I knew that it felt right. And I struck a chord with people, both on the consumer side and the nonprofit side. And it just, as long as that continued to feel right and I was enjoying it, it just, it just really didn't feel like a risk at all to me. Oh, I love that. Um, you know, and it's great, Eric, cause as a fellow entrepreneur, I, I, you know, I built a law practice and, and I remember 10 years ago having that same sort of thought of, I either can go, you know, basically apply for a bunch of jobs, wait for somebody to hire me and pay me and then argue with them about how much I should be paid or negotiate with them how much I should be paid. Right. But then you're right. Cause the risk is really not doing it. It's not trying it. It's not getting out there. Um, now, obviously being an entrepreneur is not the easiest thing in the world, right? Cause you no. don't know where money is coming in. You do. So that's the downside, right? You don't get a paycheck every two weeks, but 
I appreciate you sharing that. So, uh, Jason, let's go to you and then Michaela will go to you. Um, so you work for the largest nonprofit organization in, in the United States and which is obviously St. Jude's and, uh, sort of your guys' sole mission is to raise funds for the awareness. And I'm, uh, you know, obviously reading off the, um, off your guys' uh, webpage here, but it's to raise funds and awareness needed to operate and maintain St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, which is based obviously in Memphis, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, as we talked about. You guys have 30 locations across the country. Obviously this is, um, you know, it, a huge organization. So in terms of working for a big organization like that, uh, how does an event like Run Rich Run fit into the grand scheme of St. Jude's efforts? And, um, and sort of how do you sort of make an event like that different every year? Uh, and sort of how do you continue to sort of make it special and, and grow? Well, thank you. That's a great question, Jeremy. Um, and I'm working on that. <laughs> but <laughs> to give it. you a, a little perspective, you're right. So St. Jude is a, a unique hospital We're in Memphis, Tennessee, treating kids with pediatric cancer and other catastrophic diseases. Uh, we not only treat them, but we conduct research and share it freely with pediatric cancer community around the world. We treat kids from all 50 states and around the world. You might have seen in the news in the last week, we accepted our first patients. Uh, we helped transfer from the Ukraine to continue their treatment in, um, in Memphis at St. Jude through our St. Jude Global Program. So it's an incredible place and it does cost a lot to run. I think the operating cost of the hospital and all of our programs is about $4 million a day. My team, it's small team, there's three of us at present, we're charged with, as you said, raising awareness and money for the hospital through our relationships and sports. It's pretty unique. But the Run Rich Run campaign that you mentioned is, is one of my favorites and one that uh, I'm extremely proud of. Um, our friend, Rich Eisen, that you guys may be familiar with from the NFL Network. I know big friends with Deaton and the, and the crew at the Rose Bowl as well. Um, he was uh, covering the NFL Combine 16, 17 years ago and between breaks was bored on the field and turns to, oh gosh, I think it was Deion Sanders and said, how fast do you think I could run the 40? And Deion laughs at him and Rich takes off wearing dress shoes and a full suit and runs the 40 yard dash at the NFL Combine. Little did he know the cameras were rolling and a star was born. So the NFL Network played that back and had all kinds of fun with it. And it became an annual event for Rich to do this at the Combine. Uh, going back seven years ago, this will be the seventh year, Rich decided he wanted to use that platform that he created for good and connected with us at St. Jude, uh, a cause that uh, he was familiar with and was dear to him to see how he could raise money for the hospital. And using the platform of NFL Network and some of their corporate partners, they set out that first year and they raised about $100,000 for the hospital, which is a tremendous uh, startup initiative. Um, this went on year after year, uh, evolved, grew. And last year, the pandemic uh, canceled the NFL combine due to COVID-19. So uh, we were without uh, this program. And uh, it was one that we wanted to, uh, obviously, no matter where you work, you got budgets you want to hit. And this was a big part of my team, my small team's program. And we worked with Rich to figure out how we were going to do this without the combine, without him doing the run. And we reinvented the opportunity with the 
cooperation of our friends at NFL Network through a great uh, friend of Rich's uh, that, that we've discovered and become friends with St. Jude, Mark Laurie, who's now the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, he reached out to a lot of his colleagues and we basically built this fantasy camp where eight NFL legends and eight entrepreneurs joined with Rich to run the 40 and made donations and had a, we had uh, Jerry Rice, Ray Lewis, Rod Woodson, Tory Holt, Eric Metcalf, uh, and the list goes on. There was eight of them and eight uh, entrepreneurs and we raised uh, the most ever, even without uh, the combine. We raised $1.7 million last year. Uh, this year we were setting out to repeat this and um, there was an event, we held this at SoFi Stadium last year there in Los Angeles. And um, SoFi had this little event, the Super Bowl this year, and there, um, which I, I got, I heard of that, I saw that. And the, uh, the turf schedule got pushed back and we were gonna try to repeat the event we had last year. And it became untenable at the facility. And all of a sudden we waited past the combine. We didn't have a facility and uh, we had to get creative and once again, reinvent this opportunity. And um, I'll, I'll come back to this later, but uh, I reached out to uh, a friend of the program and a friend of uh, Rich's, your, your esteemed co-professor Deaton, and uh, asked how we might uh, have this opportunity at the Rose Bowl. The funny thing is the Rose Bowl Foundation had donated, had seen Rich's work and been friends with Rich and had made a gift to run Rich Run in the past. It's the only reason I thought of this. And um, I reached out to Deaton and with open arms, um, again, when you work for a mission and it's clear and people understand it, they want to help. And the wonderful crew at the Rose Bowl, uh, I can't say enough good things about, have opened their arms to help us produce this. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be recording Run Rich Run 2022, and that'll air in the NFL draft this year once again. And we hope to uh, raise even more money and awareness for the hospital. And um, it's wonderful people allow you to do wonderful things. So thanks to our friends. And that's, it's uh, all about paying attention to the signs. I love that. No, and thanks for sharing that, Jason. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, whenever Lee Steinberg gives a, a lecture about, um, you know, athletes and sort of uh, their, their impact that he wants them to have, it is always interesting that the first thing he usually starts with is I want you to start a charity or, or start a foundation. Right. And I want you to give back. And I often find that, you know, athletes are remembered for their statistics, right. And what they do with championships, but they're also remembered for the things that they do in their community. And it's like, you know, you can have, you know, a great athlete, but then you get these, these folks who can be legends, right. Because they can, they do things well beyond the field. So, and I think you highlighted some of those things as to, to what you're doing. And I love that St. Jude just tapped into the nonprofit world in that sense to help kids, but also done, has done it through athletes. And I, and I think it's just a fantastic thing what you guys are doing. And thanks for explaining everything about that great event that you got going on with Run Rich Run. And I remember seeing some of those videos on YouTube and <laughs> man, I don't know what that, that, that time was, but it had to have been about seven to 10 seconds at least on that 40. We'll say less than 10, more than four. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> For sure. So, um, all right, Michaela, let's go to you. So a little bit about Ready, Set, Gold that, uh, just to remind folks. So Ready, Set, Gold is a nonprofit community health and fitness program 
that promotes healthy and active lifestyles to children in Southern California. And then what they do is they match Olympic and Paralympic athletes uh, with schools in the Los Angeles Unified School District to promote fitness and nutrition. So again, using athletes in the sense of uh, promoting good health, promoting goodwill, obviously these athletes, you know, can be heroes to these kids, right? And they can look up to them, that sort of thing. So in sort of looking at um, the work that you do, Michaela, you have so much exposure to sort of very important celebrities, Olympians, um, you know, athletes over the years. So talk about the challenges and the benefits uh, of working with celebrity athletes uh, and have you and how you've leveraged their influence uh, to grow your mission uh, and the cause of the nonprofit that you work for? Yeah. Um, well, one thing that we've been able to do uh, is, well, like you just mentioned, our program really wants to promote that fitness and just living those long, healthy lifestyles. And with that, we don't want to promote social media, but yet social media is going to be a great way of our athletes showcasing what they're doing in the community to their network. And from there, it's just a snowball effect of just look what I'm doing. You can do it too. Here's how you do it. Connect with ready, set goal. It's, it's a very much of a ripple effect that we want to encourage. So we do run our social media accounts along that route of boasting up our Olympians and Paralympians, boasting up our schools so that they can reshare, they can share the amazing work that they're doing in the community with their own network. Um, our challenges, <laughs> well, they are athletes still, so their time is not always so reliable um, as one might think. And so that's definitely been a challenge over the last couple of years. Um, and it always has been, um, but another unfortunate challenge that we've been able to kind of figure out and fix is these athletes are not trained to public speak. These athletes don't have a career when they're not training. They, they're Olympians and Paralympians. They don't work for the NFL. They don't compete in professional soccer. They are training four years for one event every year, <laughs> every four years. And so they do have struggles meeting, um, finding jobs. And so we want to create an, a mentor program within our own program for our athletes. So that way, very set gold Olympians and Paralympians who've been with us for many years can teach these new ones coming into our program, how to public speak, how to best talk with kids and how to address the issues that they're seeing in the classroom. Um, but it also allows these athletes to meet other Olympians and Paralympians and find their niche in the world post the Olympic and Paralympic games. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Um, you know, it, I, well, first of all, the social media piece is so important, right? Yeah. Cause I mean, that's look, I mean, you have to use what, what's out there and social media is this sort of, you know, in my opinion, and maybe the greatest thing since sliced bread, but, um, now obviously it has its challenges, mm -hmm. but in terms of marketing and advertising, you know, it's free space to, to, to talk and free space to promote your brand and what you got going on. There's obviously bad sides to that. Uh, but, um, I love that you guys have leveraged that and, and what a terrific idea too, right. To, cause, cause you're right. Cause Olympians in their time when they're not training, you know, they have that downtime, right? Well, it's like, okay. And the training probably goes through cycles. Maybe you, you gear up towards the last year. Right. Absolutely. Um, but, 
Right. So you're going to have this extra time, but, uh, so I, I love how you explain, explain that and walked us through that. Um, now, so going back to everybody uh, on this next question, and maybe Eric, we can start with you since, since we've had you be, be pretty quiet there, uh, uh, uh for, for, for a bit now, but so uh, relationships are obviously important, right? Relationships with companies, your clients, uh, contacts, any sort of celebrity, uh, athlete, if you will, um, to support, you know, growth for your causes. Right. So talk about, uh, a little bit about the importance of relationships, um, and maybe some tips that you guys have used along the way to strengthen old ones, uh, you know, sort of keep the, keep those relationships alive. And then Eric, let's go to you, then uh, Jason, then Michaela. Yeah, this one is, is pretty important to me just because I'm a big believer that the relationship is, is everything. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people when they're networking and making relationships in business, uh, they're looking as they're looking at people as a means to an end. And, um, you know, I think Deedon could, could probably address this directly. I mean, when Deedon and I met, like, I just, we're friends. Like I, I, Dean is a great guy. Like, and then it turned to business. Great. That's awesome. But for me, it's about creating genuine connections. And I think, especially when you're talking about pro athletes and celebrities, like everyone is looking up to these people. Everyone wants something from these people. And when you just genuinely just are nice and just want to talk to them and just treat them like a normal human being, uh, I found it works incredibly well. And, um, you know, like I said, it's really important to me because it's something that um, I've, I've tried to do with, with everyone I've met in life. Like there's no, no difference between celebrities, pro athletes and the rest of us. Um, they still wake up in the morning. They still go to the bathroom. They still make dinner for their kids. They still do the same stuff. So for me, it's just about true, genuine connections with expecting nothing except just friendship. I love that, that genuine, uh, that call for genuineness is so important, right? People would often ask, like when I would go out to networking events, they would say, um, you know, like, well, networking, man, it's so, it's so, t- it's so difficult, you know, like you got to talk to people and you got to like, you know, and I'm like, well, you, I mean, really like when you go to a networking event, you're talking to your friends, you're going because your friends are there and then your friends are going to introduce you to people. So I think as long as you keep it in that context and you're just being, you're just being honest and genuine with folks. It makes it so much easier. There's no pressure. It's like, Hey, I'm just here to, I'm just here to, to meet people. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And I, and and I, then, Jeremy, I believe that you can learn something from everyone. Everyone has something interesting to tell you. And so I, I make it in, in uh, I, I make it a, I try as hard as I can to, to listen more than I, when, more than I speak, I guess I should say, because um, I ultimately want to learn what other people think and what other people's perspectives are. Right. No, I agree. Great point. Great point. Um, so no, thanks for sharing that, Eric. And then Jason, let's go to you. So same question in terms of the importance of relationships to you and maybe some tips that you've sort of had along the way that you've utilized to kind of keep the old ones alive and, and, and to make some new ones. Well, Eric hit the bullseye, center of the target, and I'm only going to build on what he said. He's spot on about uh, the importance of just 
authentic connections with people. I would add to that only that I think, and Eric made another good point about, you know, a lot of times these people are very intent on the means to the end and like they know what they want in the equation. But for you to achieve in a partnership, whether it's with an athlete or a, a business colleague at another company you're working with or somebody you're trying to pitch an idea to, I only think you're going to achieve your objectives if you can figure out what the other party's objectives are too and add value to, to them at every turn. If you don't know what your partner wants out of an arrangement or what this athlete stands to gain by partnering with you and what you want done, it's not going to be effective. I think seek to add value at every turn. Understand what drives and what motivates the person on the other side of that conversation, and you're a lot more likely to achieve what you're setting out to do. Right. No, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, some good wisdom there. And then Michaela, let's go to you. Same question. Yeah. How important are relationships uh, and what have you done sort of over the years uh, to, um, to either sort of keep the, keep it alive for the old ones and get some new ones going. And, and before you answer that, I want to tell a quick little anecdote about how Michaela and I met and which I think shows the power of relationships so for the longest time, I had been setting up events at some of the different sports teams in town, right? Uh, and Deedon, co-professor, we've, we've done a few of these, these events together, and he's spoken on a couple panels. But the idea was that you would essentially have a panel at like a, a baseball game or a hockey game or what have you, right? And you'd have some sort of panel, and then you'd watch the game. But it was sort of this new idea that really hadn't been done before, particularly in the legal space. Most of the time when you're doing legal education, it was uh, um, pretty bland. And so we were looking for ways to, to make it more exciting. And so I couldn't get uh, in contact with the Dodgers uh, until a colleague of mine that I was going to Pepperdine with said, you need to talk to Michaela. And I was just like, all right. And then so Michaela got on, and I got on the phone. And within a week, we had an event set up at the Dodgers. And uh, it was fantastic. It was me and the general counsel of the team and uh, we had all all the all the hot dogs, all the all the baseballs. We had everything. It was it was great. So um, so, anyways, with that being said, Michaela, you're fantastic. So let's uh, let's let, let's you. hear your wisdom on this. Well, I mean, Eric and Jason, I mean, nailed everything. But just if I can add one more, it would be actually how I got that first job at the Dodgers. I was not from LA. I didn't have any sports experience. I just graduated college. So I asked them, why did you hire me? And she said, I've been working for the Los Angeles Dodgers for 12 years. And this is the first handwritten note I got after a job interview. So they took a chance on me for reaching out and putting myself in the position of thanking them for that job interview. Um, that handwritten note was not in just plain script, it was in cursive. So I don't know if you guys can still do that now, but yes, <laughs> people still do, still do cursive. Um, but yeah, I think like everyone mentioned before me, your time, yes, is super valuable, but nothing is going to compete with building those connections and those trust and showing them that you are giving your time to talk with them and learn from them. Um, and also to offer your own advice. So that's, that would be my 
advice to add on to everyone else's, but yeah, just put yourself out there and uh, don't be afraid of just writing a note, a thank you note. Love that. No, thanks, Michaela. Um, so question to everybody in whatever order, uh, Eric or Jason or Michaela, however you guys want to answer this, but uh, maybe a two-part question. Uh, the first is, we'd love to hear sort of like a favorite story that you have in your work in nonprofit um, that sort of made it sink in that this is where you needed to be. Like this was like that you made the right career choice. Um, so that's the first question. I'll give you a few seconds to sort of think about that. And then this follow-up is, you know, obviously changing a career is difficult, right? The, the three of you are all special in your own way, but one, one three way, uh, the, the sort of one way that the three of you are, are similar is that you all decided to change careers. You know, you know, you went from the most profitable baseball team in the country <laughs> in the Dodgers, Michaela, to, uh, you know, to working for a nonprofit, right? And then, of course, Jason, you know, you had your path, Eric, you had your path. So let's sort of start with maybe like a favorite story that you had uh, that sort of maybe made you think this is where I need to be. And then um, in terms of making that jump. So the second question is really, uh, how do you know when you have to make that jump and sort of how do you overcome some of the, that initial fear? And Eric, you talked about it earlier, but um, so whoever wants to start with, with those, uh, those two points there, those two questions. I'll start. Yeah, go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, I mean, I, so I've worked with the uh, Southern California Committee for Olympic Games for three years now. And every time where I'm in a visit, experiencing the impact that we're having is huge. But most recently, um, and thanks to the Roosevelt Institute for actually supporting this event um, that I'm about to talk about on International Women's Day, we hosted uh, an event for 1,200 14-year-old girls called International, or well, it's on International Women's Day, but we uh, named it Girls Empowerment Day. And we invited them out to the Bank of California in downtown LA and celebrate them by getting them moving, getting them active. Because um, we found out that once, a, once girls reach the age of 14 years old, they are two times less likely to be active in sport um, once they get into high school than boys. And so we wanted to encourage them to live their best life and empower them to reach for the, their goals, whether that is sport or whether that is just graduating high school, which is the case for a lot of our girls that we work with. Um, and just seeing the smiles on their face, this is the first time that they were at a um, a field trip in the last two years. This is the first time that they were able to actually take down their masks. It happened after the uh, mask mandate went down on that Monday prior. It was the first time that a lot of them have been to a professional for, um, stadium before. It was the first time that they met a professional athlete. There was many firsts for them that day. And it's moments like that, that I hope that we can all continue to give the next generation their first and um, hopefully provide them with the, the right tools necessary for them to lead their life, so. Oh, well, thanks, Michaela. Um, and then, uh, do you wanna add anything on that oh. sort of how you, yeah, how you made that jump? I think it was like um, just the need to make that impact, to see the impact. Um, 
I, I craved that. And I think I am so lucky that, I mean, working in nonprofit as these two guys on the panel know, like you do every single, um, platform, every single, um, whether it's from PR to finance to marketing, I'm covering every single, um, entity, but it goes back to also just seeing the impact that you're making in the community. Um, and, and hearing from them, their goals, and then hear them coming back to you years later saying, I went from a C student to an A student because of Ready, Set, Gold. I did this, I did that, and it all is very rewarding in the end. And that's why I made that transition, so. Love that. All right, uh, Jason, let's go to you. Excellent, so uh, I'll tell you a story that popped in mind when you mentioned that, about when I knew I'd made made the right choice to to switch paths and work uh, for the mission of St. Jude was, it was a few months into my tenure, um, my uh, first year, our probably our largest event that our team manages is uh, the annual, there's a PGA Tour stop in Memphis. It's changed this year. It's going to be the first round of the FedEx Cup. It's the uh, FedEx St. Jude Championship. But especially pre-pandemic, those first couple of years I was there, um, uh, when, the, when the athletes come to town, a lot of them... Uh, St. Jude's very tied into the PGA Tour, would want to come visit the hospital. And we would host an event there. Uh, we called it the golf around and the guys would come, we'd have putting green set up and they'd come play with the kids. And it's just a heartwarming day. These kids taking a break from awful treatments, you know, where they feel very, you know, weakened and down off. And it's such a way to lift their spirits. And it was great. And one kid came in, I'll never forget, um, her name was Bridget, and I met her that day. And uh, she was not doing well. She had just, within the week prior, uh, due to her diagnosis, had had um, an amputation. Uh, she had osteosarcoma and had um, her uh, leg removed below the knee and was not in good spirits and not feeling well. And I saw her. And I saw um, one of the good men out there, Tony Finau was over there. If anybody likes golf, follow Tony. He's a good guy. I uh, went up to Tony. He was kind of, he was apart from everyone for this moment. I said, hey, can I bring you over? And I, I introduced myself. He didn't know me from Adam and asked him if I could go introduce him to uh, Bridget. And he got down on her level. Uh, she was in a chair and started to speak with her. And this girl lit up and uh, it turns out, we call these kind of St. Jude moments. You had these from time to time working at the hospital and seeing the magic that happens where um, it turns out that Bridget's mom had worked at Ping, the golf equipment manufacturer, and Tony was sponsored by Ping and they hit it off like this. And uh, Bridget uh, is doing great today, playing soccer, playing basketball, and keeps up with Tony and even got to design, ultimately design some uh, ping uh, hats and golf bags that were used in the tournament with the athletes last year. And it's just little moments like that that have such a ripple. Uh, when, when I saw that happen and saw that kid go from, you know, zero to 10 on the scale, 
uh, I knew I'd, I'd made the right choice. And uh, the second part of that, Jeremy, how do you how do you know when it's time to make that leap? I think is it's important that you continue growing. And like I said, I'd been 20 years team side. And one of the best parts, I think one of the reasons we all get into sports, I mean, there's a certain amount of ego involved in that and a certain amount of identity. And you go everywhere you go, you know, you're, you know, Michaela was the one who worked, worked the Dodgers, you know, or I was the one who worked with the Memphis Grizzlies and that's cool. And there's a cachet and it becomes a part of your identity. And I just say that to warn you against it a little bit. Don't let it, don't be afraid to shed that skin when the time comes. I think in your careers, you'll grow and you might work with bigger and better teams or bigger and better agencies. And that's intoxicating. It really is. And uh, I think you need to be open to, I loved hearing the story of, of Eric's leap of faith when you know that like, it's time you, you can make uh, a difference. You can make a change. I really believe in listening to the signals from the universe and seeing the signs. And Michaela, somebody saw that sign when you wrote that letter, you know, like it's the little things just to pay attention to those. And when you get the messages that maybe you ought to consider this. And that's, I, I believe that's how I came to work at St. Jude. And I think that that was the, the best decision I've ever made in my life. Love that. No, thanks. Next Jason, to marry my sure. wife. If she's listening, I want to say also <laughs> marrying my wife. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we'll keep that in. We'll keep that in. All right. <laughs> thanks, Jason. Uh, all right, Eric, let's uh, let's close with you on this next one. Um, and I might have one little final question for everybody, but same thing. Um, you know, this idea of, you know, obviously the second question is this, uh, what sort of made you sort of make the leap? And you kind of talked about it earlier, but then when was that sort of like aha moment for you uh, as well? Yeah. Um, about three months after the initial COVID auction that I did, when I was starting to dabble into this and get a couple clients, I had gotten uh I spoke to a guy who did corporate po- corporate partnerships for the Corn Ferry Tour, so the PGA Tour feeder system, and uh, was kicking around ideas. And he, he, you know, I said, "Oh, maybe we could do something with a PG with a with a pro am." And he's like, "You should talk to this group in Lexington, Kentucky." I was like, "Okay." He's like, "They they run some events in the Bahamas." So next thing you know, I get connected to these random guys in Lexington, Kentucky, and. You know, we're chatting and, and we're spitballing some ideas. And just off the cuff, they just say, yeah, in addition to golf, we also do a lot of stuff in college basketball. And coaches versus cancer is, is one of our big partners. And so I had no idea this was completely unscripted or anything. But in the spur of the moment, and you have to a little bit of backstory, I, even though most people assume I'm a big golfer and I am, my childhood, all I did was basketball. And I went to probably six or seven coaches versus cancer tournaments in Madison Square Garden with my dad, like pretty much every year that they had it. And so they mentioned coaches versus cancer. I let it play a Christmas tree and just at spur of the moment, I said, well, why don't we get every major division one basketball coach that plays golf to donate a round of golf with them at their home course? We'll do a giant online auction. and We'll raise a ton of money for the American Cancer Society. And everyone kind of just paused and I was like, oh, like, did I say something wrong? And then basically they're, 
that's a great idea. And so three months later, we did it. And we raised a quarter of a million dollars in a week for the American Cancer Society. We auctioned off rounds with Jim Beheim and Rick Pitino and uh, Roy Williams, literally the biggest names in college basketball. Um, and uh, that was a very clear, as Jason said, sign from the universe. And I as well look at that. And um, so, yeah, that was a very clear moment that, yep, yeah, I'm on the right path. Love it. I love it. And then to the other point, Eric, about uh, this idea, when did you know? When did you know that you wanted to make the jump? Or when was your aha moment? Or no, you already did that. Sorry. So when did you know you wanted to make the jump? <laughs> yeah. Well, again, you know, my, I think um, the only thing I'll say about that that I didn't say previously is I had an experience uh, about four years ago um, that I, I volunteered for a group called All Hands and Hearts, which does um, volunteer disaster recovery cleanup. And so I spent six weeks down in the U.S. Virgin Islands helping to clean up after hurricanes Irma and Maria. And it was a really interesting time in my life where I was super stressed at work. And, you know, I spent a month and a half with 50 selfless individuals from all over the world that came together to help people that they didn't even know. And uh, it changed me. And from that point forward, I just knew that I had to have more purpose in my life than just making money. And so I wasn't sure where or what shape that was going to take, take form in. But um, like I said before, I'm a big believer in, in kind of trusting the universe and member for a day was just kind of created by these, these natural forces after I lost my job in COVID. I love that. And thanks. Thanks to all of you for sharing Eric, Michaela, Jason, really appreciate it. I think we'll uh, close on this thought in, in terms of uh, maybe sort of one little piece of wisdom you would share uh, as to whether it just be career advice or, um, you know, just a piece of how to be successful or just anything you guys want to share, any sort of piece of wisdom. And Ma Michaela, let's start with you. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the best piece of advice would just be to let your personality shine through in the job interview, show them your qualities. That's going to really what makes you different from the rest of the candidates. Um, I think there is so much, uh, I mean, when interviewing, it is stressful. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of stress behind interviewing and going out for your first jobs. And one thing that you can always be true to is being yourself in those interviews and just everything that you're learning from your amazing professors. Um, just let that come through with your personality on top. Thanks, Michaela. How about you, Jason? Maybe a couple of things. I think the first one I'd say, especially pursuing a sports entertainment career, get comfortable with selling. I think uh, the idea of sales yeah. sounds terrifying. Like, oh, I don't want to do sales. The secret is everything is sales, right? And that the sooner you can understand that um, whatever your function is, it is a form of selling and work to master that, to understand how to uh, add value to partnerships and uh, extract value from partnerships, uh, you'll, you'll have a leg up. So take the job in sales, whatever that is. Yeah. Of that, not good advice. So true. I, growing up, I, uh, my dad is a furniture salesman, and I always be like, oh, I'm going to go to school to get an education to not be a salesperson. 
uh, but clearly <laughs> legal and every other profession in sports and entertainment is sales. So, and I'll just so, add that too. When I started with the Dodgers, I was in sales and I was trying with all my might to get out of that. And now that I'm not in sales, that's the only thing that I do that's constant from day to day. Um, it's part of the rhythm, the routine. You're just talking and talking up about what you do, who you're impacting. And so it's definitely, that's a great point, Jason. You have to love what you sell. I think that's the key, right? A hundred percent. That's the jump. If you need to make that jump out of where you were into the nonprofit or wherever you want to go, you got to love it. Yeah. Uh, all right, Eric, last word, my friend. Um, what's the, what's the, what's the, the wisdom for the day or for yeah, life? Mine, mine goes back to, um, kind of following your heart instead of following what society tells you. And so, you know, I, like I said, I went to wall street fresh out of college. And I think a lot of that had to do with money and, you know, the, the smart, successful people I knew, they were on Wall Street, they were investment bankers and traders. And so I should do that too. Um, where I knew deep down inside, I, I didn't love it. It wasn't, it wasn't passion. And so you kind of touched upon it before, Jeremy, and I'll kind of put in my own words, which is, you know, just, just do what you enjoy. And if you're great at anything, you could find a way to make money off of it. And I think, you know, when I think back to my 22 year old self, the reason I didn't go into sports is because I didn't want to take a low paying job. And so I went into Wall Street and I quote unquote wasted a lot of those, a lot of time, whereas I could have been doing something that I was truly passionate about. And so, you know, my advice is, is don't let societal norms dictate your decisions in life. And ultimately, like, you know what you love and what you're good at and just trust that. Um, and lastly, right handwritten thank you notes. That was great advice that Michaela said. I, I've had, I've had right handwritten thank you notes on my to do list for like six months, and now after this panel, I'm gonna actually sit down and write it because she's so right. Is in this day and age of social media and everything's online now, especially during COVID, the handwritten thank you note is such a, it's like the classiest thing you can possibly do. So I love that advice. Now, nah, well, Eric, uh, Jason, Michaela, you three have been fantastic and appreciate your time and, um, and uh, you know, obviously your, your wisdom and your advice. So, so thank you so much for, for, uh, for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks guys. All right, folks. Thanks again for listening in. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of the believe in sports law podcast via the believe network. As always, thank you for listening and making us the number one sports law podcast uh, show in the world. The show has been brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you so much and look forward to being with you very soon. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e 
AV on YouTube.